Christ, have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, church, please open up your Bibles to Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 to 30. And if you do not have a copy of God's word, please lift up your hand nice and high. Our ushers are coming forward, and they would love to put a copy of God's word in your hand. You are going to need it tonight. Uh, And so our passage can be found tonight on page 485 of those blue Bibles. Uh, and if you do not have a copy of God's Word, please keep this uh, copy as a gift from our church to you so that you can bring it home and follow along and read God's Word and dive into the Word throughout the week. And so last week, uh, we saw that the Christian life is a call uh, to fervency, to be boiling hot for the things of the Lord. Romans 12, verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Notice that fervency is a precursor to faithfulness in serving the Lord. And so what do we mean by fervency? Let's make sure that we're all on the same page by what we mean by that. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, Fervency is defined as living with the passion priority and perspective of Jesus by his power and for his glory. It is living with the passion, priority, and perspective of Jesus by his power and for his glory. You know, a life of fervency is a life that is passionate for the things that the Lord is passionate about. It is a life that prioritizes what the Lord prioritizes, and it is a life that lives with an eternal perspective. This is biblical fervency. We could also summarize it like this. Living the the life of gospel fervency means that God's glory shapes the whole story. God's glory is the goal at all times, And in all things. And this is the life of Jesus. He modeled this perfectly for us. We saw last week with Pastor Ray as he kicked off our mini-series, we saw the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, and we saw that the gospel life is a life of fervent prayer. And so tonight, with this, we will see this evening that the gospel life is also a life of fervent stewardship. And so as we begin, I have a question here for us this evening. Have you ever missed an opportunity? Is there a moment in your past where you wish you could do things differently? Let me give you, an, let me give you a few examples. A conversation with a loved one that was had. Maybe what was said or how it was said. A financial decision that you would do differently. Or maybe, or maybe it's advice that you may or may not have given to someone who needed advice. A missed opportunity to help someone. Or maybe it's the way that you use your free time, whether that's binge-watching something on Netflix or just scrolling endlessly through social media. Maybe for some it's procrastinating, you know, not doing what you should be doing. Maybe for others, you don't have to go that far back to see the missed opportunity. It could have happened today or maybe even on the way in this evening. 
a missed opportunity to disciple your kids. Maybe it's a a missed opportunity in serving the Lord or serving a brother or sister in the Lord or uh, serving your neighbor. It could even be a missed opportunity in witnessing to an unbeliever, whether that would be a family relative, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. Here's the problem that you and I are all confronted with in this, is that we often don't steward our time, our talents, and our treasures with the fervency of Jesus as we are called to. And this results in many missed opportunities to glorify God through them. And we become complacent and apathetic with what God has entrusted to us. And why is that? Well, here's why. We don't view these things as entrustments. We just don't. We view these things more in terms of ownership. Right? It's my stuff. Or it's, it's my time. Right? Or I'll do it when it's convenient for me. Or maybe, maybe it's I deserve some me time. Or maybe I'll do it when it fits my schedule. Or I'll give when the cost isn't too great. Or when the demands aren't too high. And loved ones, can I just say, this is pride. This is entitlement. And this is, this is what the world wants you to believe. Right? We are constantly bombarded by this way of thinking from the world. Right? The world emphasizes self so much so uh, that we can easily take on this way of thinking. But loved ones, I want to challenge you today just as I have been challenged in preparing this message over these last few weeks. God calls us to something not only different from what the world says, but something much greater than that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called not only to a different standard, but you are called to a higher standard. And so here's our big idea for this evening, and write this down, you'll see it on the screen. Because Jesus is coming soon, we must steward his entrustments fervently for his glory, right? Because Jesus is coming soon. It's not a matter of if he's coming back. He is coming back. His word says he's coming back. But in light of that, we must steward his entrustments fervently for his glory. Uh, And so here in our text, we are going to see two truths that we must embrace if we are to steward his entrustments faithfully. And so I would invite you to stand. So please stand as we honor the authority of God's word together uh, in reading Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 to 30. And so kids, nice and loud. I love seeing your Bibles open. So let's go. The parable of the talents. Verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to him this property. To one, he gave five talents, to another, two, to another, one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five, five more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he so who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. And so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hear the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. And so right here, so right here in our text, we see that fervent stewardship, it begins with recognition. It begins with recognition. All that you have, all you have has been entrusted to you by Jesus. Will you recognize it? Will you recognize it? And so let's get our context. Uh, Jesus, he's left Jerusalem with his disciples and they're traveling back to Bethany uh, for the evening, for the night. And so as they leave Jerusalem, the disciples look back uh, and they point at the beauty of the temple marveling at their beauty, to which Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. And so this had thrown off the disciples. This had really thrown them off. And so on their way back to Bethany, Jesus makes a pit stop on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples approach him privately and question him about this. And so Jesus answers them and tells them of all the things that will happen in both the near future and the distant future. And Jesus uses parables to teach his disciples about the kingdom of heaven and how and why they should be ready for the imminent return of the Son of Man. And so let's recall from last week, a parable is a story or lesson from everyday life used to illustrate a spiritual truth. And so we see that in the parable of the ten virgins in the previous verses before, in verses 1 to 13 of chapter 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples that they must watch correctly in order to be properly prepared and ready to accompany the Son of Man when he returns. If we look in verse 13, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 
right? They are to recognize the time. They are to stay alert. Wake up. And then Jesus goes on to tell them the parable of the talents. And so let's re- let me read verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And, the, and so the word for there at the beginning is a conjunction. Jesus is connecting the truth from the previous parable to this parable. And so when Jesus is saying for it, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so he's essentially saying for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And recall as well from last week, every character in a parable represents someone. And so the man and the master, which is the same person, represents Jesus. And the servants represent followers or those who claim to be disciples and followers of Christ. And notice what the man does. He entrusts them with his property. Right? The word entrust there means to hand over, to deliver over. And so he is handing over his property, his possessions. And here we see the truth of stewardship. Right? The master is entrusting his stewards to manage his affairs during his absence. Let's read verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one to each according to his ability. And so the master hands to, his, to three different servants talents, his talents. And so what's a talent? That's a great question. I'm glad you guys asked. A talent, uh, the Greek term simply means a large sum of money. A talent in New Testament times was not an actual coin, uh, but it was a sum of money that was valued at about the equivalent of 20 years wages for a laborer. And so I did a bit of math to see what that equivalent would be for us today. According to Statistics Canada, the median income after taxes for, 20, uh, for 2020 was 66800 And so if one talent represented uh, 20 years wages, then one talent would represent $1.34 million. And so two talents would represent 2.67 million, and five talents would represent 6.68 million. Wow, what an entrustment. And notice what the text says. Each servant received according to his ability. And these words are key. The degree of entrustment given to them by their master was dependent upon their own individual ability. The master knew his servants individually and what they were capable of. And here's the truth that we see in this. Not every believer has been given the same entrustment to steward. Not every believer has the same entrustment to steward. But Jesus has entrusted each and every believer with something to steward. And so here in our text, the entrustment is a monetary one. But the same principle applies not only to our treasures, but also applies to our time as well as our talents. And here's a comforting truth right out of this verse. Jesus knows our abilities. He knows your abilities. He knows what you can handle and how much you can handle. And and he knows you better than you know yourself. 
And out of love, he will never give you more than what you can handle. He will never give you more than what you can fervently steward in the strength and in the wisdom that he supplies. And this is a, this is a loving thing on his part. And so this is where fervent stewardship begins, recognizing that all you have has been entrusted to you by Jesus. Paul says, Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 4 verse 7, what did you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Everything that you have, whether that's your career, your education, your house, your children, your bank account, your cars, all those things are an entrustment from the Lord. Will you recognize it? Just think about it right now. Of all the things that God has entrusted to you, just, let's just pause and just think about that. Now you may say, well, why is that so important? Well, because the reality of it is this, and you'll see it on the screen, a lack of recognition of the entrustment will lead to a lack of fervency with the entrustment. You will not be fervent with the entrustment if you do not realize or recognize that those very things are an entrustment from the Lord. And so loved ones, Will you recognize it? Will you recognize it? And so fervent stewardship begins with recognition. And, and, and as an outflow of that recognition, we see that fervent stewardship, second point for today, is this. It directs your response. It directs your response. Jesus wants a faithful response to what he has entrusted you with. Are you stewarding it fervently? Let's continue reading verses 16 to 18. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Uh, So also, uh, yes, so he, he, he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And so the first two servants re- recognized the entrustment from the start and they went to work. Notice what it says in verse 16 of the first servant. He went at once. Notice the fervency. Notice the fervency. There was an eagerness and an urgency on his part. The first two servants knew how to put the entrustment to good use, and they didn't delay in doing it, right? They made the most of their entrustment, and the result of this is this. They made 100% profit with it. They maximized every opportunity given. But then notice the contrast between the first two servants and the third one. The one who had received the one talent dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Well, what's that about? Well, here's the thing. So in, in that period, there were no banks back then. And so this was a common practice to bury valuables. They didn't have banks, so they couldn't just go to a bank, borrow a safety, uh, rent a safety deposit box, and, and put their valuables in there. That just didn't happen. 
And so just picture that for a moment. Put yourself in this servant's shoes. You have been entrusted with one talent, which is, which is not a, a, an insignificant amount of money. All right, it's a significant entrustment, and you're off to bury it. What must be going through your mind in that moment about your master for you to come to the conclusion, yeah, let's bury this talent? Are you having any positive thoughts in that moment about your master? Would you view that talent as an entrustment? Would you possibly be grumbling and complaining? Or maybe are you, are you resentful over the fact that the other two got more than what you received? You notice there was a certain expectation on all three servants to steward what had been entrusted to them regardless of the amount that they had received. Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Now after a long time, the master, and those, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The very fact that the master returns and settles accounts with them implies it. The master had expected that his resources would be put to good use during his absence. And Jesus has the same expectation on you and I today. There is an expectation that we will faithfully steward what he has entrusted to us, whether it's our time, our talents, and our treasures. Because Jesus wants a faithful response to what he's entrusted us with. And in the verses that follow, we will see, we see two possible responses that you and I are faced with just as these three servants were faced with. And the first response that we see is this. We multiply it, good and faithful. We multiply it, good and faithful. Let's read verses 20 to 23. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over. Over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, the first two servants were excited to show their master what they had done. Notice the joy in their tone. Master, you have delivered to me. Right? They were excited to see their master return. They anticipated his eventual return. They didn't know when he was coming back, but they knew he was coming back soon. The first two servants had each received different amounts at the beginning, but the return on the investment was the same, 100% return. And as a result of their faithfulness, they received the same commendation in almost identical words. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, they were commended for their faithfulness and not their performance. 
Let me say that again. They were commended for their faithfulness and not their performance. It's not about performance. It's about faithfulness. They had proved to be trustworthy. And the commendation that they received uh, was proof that they knew the master and had done what was expected of them. And so question, loved ones, does this describe you? Does this describe you? When you stand before Jesus and give an account to all for all that he's entrusted you with, will these be the words that you hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. I pray it will be. This is what fervency looks like. We will multiply the entrustment for the kingdom of heaven. But there is another response that we could have in which you and I are tempted each and every single day with, and that is to bury it, wicked and slothful. Let's read verses 24. Let me read verse 24 to 27. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Notice the exclamation point there. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Notice the contrast there between the third servant and the first two. Did you, did you notice the shift in tone? The third servant doesn't seem too pleased to see his master return. And while the first two servants focused, were so focused on their master, the third servant was so concerned about himself. Just look at that. Let's go back to the text in verse 24 and 25. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent. You notice how it's all about himself in that moment when he's talking to his master? He perceives his master to be a hard man, right? He was, he was motivated by self-interest. And he ultimately blames the master to justify his actions. And rather than putting the talent to good use, he ended up squandering it. And this, as a result of this, this led to a chilling and sobering rebuke from the master. In verse 26, he says, you wicked and slothful servant. In other words, you evil and lazy servant. The servant wasn't condemned for what he did in bearing it. He was condemned for what he didn't do. The servant failed to realize the entrustment that the master had given him. Right? He, was, he was playing it safe. 
right? It's a safety first policy that made it so unacceptable to the master, right? He had, he had a me first attitude. And so then the master uses, as a result of that, the master then uses the servant's own words against him, stating that even the bare minimal profit from the bankers would have been better than nothing, And as a result of this selfish and entitled actions, as a result of his selfish and entitled actions and thinking only of himself, he had proved to be worthless for the kingdom of heaven. And so question, loved ones, does this describe you? Where are you, like this servant, burying your time, your talents, and your treasures. Where are you taking what God has entrusted to you and living with a me-first attitude instead of fervently using them, multiplying them for the kingdom of heaven? And loved ones, I want to encourage you with this. I want you to remember there... Scripture is so clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's time to repent. It's time to repent of our pride, of our entitlement, of the times where we have a me first, my glory first, over God first, God's glory first. It's time to repent. Notice what happens to the servant who had this me first attitude. Let's read, let's continue reading in verses 28 to 30. He says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so here we see the the one talent is taken away from him, and he's given to the one who had proven himself to be fervent, right? And then the servant is then taken and cast into outer darkness, right? He's cast into hell for all eternity. You see, Jesus uses language to close out this parable Uh, He uses language of ultimate judgment to warn us to take his message seriously. These are the only two possible responses that we can make with the entrustment. We will either multiply it or we will bury it. You see, there, there is a fundamental difference between those who truly know Jesus as Lord and those who claim to know him. How is that? Well, there is a clear distinction in how they steward what they've been entrusted with. The first, two steward, the first two servants knew who their master was and served him faithfully. But the third servant, on the other hand, showed that he was an unbeliever, even though he claimed to be a servant, because he had no true knowledge of the master. You see, fervent stewardship is a vital aspect of discipleship, and it will be rewarded with additional opportunities to serve God fervently. And if you're sitting, if you're sitting there and wondering, okay, well, 
How can I be a fervent steward and multiply what the Lord has entrusted to me? Whether that would be time, talents, and treasures. Or maybe, how, how do you know? How do I know if I am being faithful in it? Well, here's a great litmus test to see where you're at, where you're possibly at in this. Whose agenda is driving how you steward the entrustments that you've received from God? Is it God's kingdom? Or is it yours? Whose glory is shaping the story? Be honest. Remember, the purpose of every entrustment that you have received, that I have received, is to see God glorified with it and to see God's kingdom advance until he returns. It's to see the body of Christ built up. We see that so clearly in Ephesians 4. And as a disciple of Jesus, we have a responsibility to be fervent, to fervently steward what we've been entrusted with. Why is that? Because Jesus is coming back very soon. He's coming back soon. He will settle accounts with every believer and non-believer. But here's a comforting truth. We have a perfect example in Jesus who is perfectly fervent in everything that the Father entrusted to him, even in the hardest and most difficult of circumstances. And not only do we have a perfect example in Jesus, but he has also given us another helper. He hasn't left us to our own to try and figure this out. He has given us his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who empowers us and gives us wisdom to be faithful in our stewardship. We must pray. We must pray fervently. I, I love how last week it was on like fervent prayer. We must pray fervently and ask for wisdom and guidance on how to be faithful with the entrustments. Because I want to encourage you with this. God will not ask of you what he's first not willing to do through you. Fervent stewardship is God-given and God-driven. And we must ask boldly that he would give us this. And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's two things that I want to say to you. Number one, I'm so excited that you're here tonight. I don't believe that's by accident. And secondly, and I want to say this as gently as I can, you are that unfaithful servant from this text. You, yeah, you are that unfaithful servant from this text. And I urge you to stop burying what you've been entrusted with. How do you do that? Well, your first step is to recognize that all you have is an entrustment and that there is absolutely no way for you to earn your salvation, to earn your ticket to heaven with what you have been entrusted with. You must believe in Jesus, that he came as fully God and fully man to earth, lived a perfect life for 33 years, and died on the cross paying for the penalty of your sins as the wrath of God was poured out on him to save you from an eternity in hell, an eternity where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, as we see in verse 30. But then it gets better. Three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. He was raised to life, defeating sin and death. 
offering salvation and eternal life to all who repent of their ways and turn to him in faith. Will you repent of your ways and turn to him in faith? And loved ones, the the question that we must ask ourselves in light of this is this. How will you respond? Or how are you responding? Fervent stewardship begins with recognition. Jesus has entrusted you with much. And then realizing that truth then directs your response. The best investment that you can make is a kingdom investment. Will you fervently steward what the Lord has entrusted to you? Let's pray. And so Jesus Christ, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the reminder that everything that we have, whether our time, talents, and treasures is from you. It's an entrustment. We, don't, we didn't earn any of it. We certainly don't deserve any of it. But yet, out of your mercy and your grace, you choose to entrust us with these things. And so I pray that would humble us. I pray that would humble us and that would deepen our gratitude and thankfulness for the entrustments uh, that you have given us. And as well, I pray that it would increase our resolve to use them faithfully and fervently for the kingdom of heaven. I pray that you would find us good and faithful when you return. Lord, increase our awareness of this truth and we thank you for Jesus for not only modeling this perfectly, but also for giving us the means to be fervent. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowers us in this. And I, I pray that you would do this increasingly in this church, that we would be, that we would be fervent that in our stewardship, that we would fervently steward all that you have entrusted to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, will you stand in worship as we respond?